As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Certainly not in the terms you would be hoping to hear us here on the post-game show, but I think uh, it's going to be slightly therapeutic, maybe (laughs) slightly enraging, if both of those can be true. Uh, The Bills, of course, losing to the Jaguars 9-6 in Duval. It is, uh, they actually doubled their points from the last time they played in Duval um, <laughs> after the playoff game in 2017. But uh, but yes, uh, a loss all the same to uh, to a team that they should not have lost to. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, for these post-game editions is Matt Beauvais. He is the sports director at Channel 7, WKBW in Buffalo. And this game was a clunker all the way around, <clears throat> at least from an offensive perspective. You know, the the defense will definitely not get any of the attention this week, and for good reason. But, you know, they they did their job. And the way that I term, termed it was the defense played well enough for the Bills to blow out their opponents, and the offense played poorly enough to get blown out by better opponents and how they unraveled throughout the entirety of that game. It was, uh, they've got, they've got some bigger, bigger problems. So, uh, Matt Beauvais, when, when you first saw that game, you've thought about it, you've had a few hours now, we're recording this about nine 20 at night on Sunday. Um, what is the thing that keeps sticking in your craw? What is the thing that, that to you is like, all right, I can't, get this part of this performance out of my brain the offensive line and I know that a lot of people deserve blame and I think that it's justified in a lot of different places but for me you know I think that after these games everybody always wants to find one person or one position to play to blame because it that's what we do you know everybody naturally overreacts you start to get questions about like okay how good is this team are they even you know good enough to be a playoff team you know all these things your mind starts racing so for me as I'm watching that game especially in the second half the first half too but especially in the second half it just looked like 
Josh was kind of helpless. And that does not mean, in my opinion, that he should get a pass on this because he made far too many mistakes and was careless with the football. And it looked like 2019 Josh Allen way too many times, you know, this afternoon. Same thing with the running game. The running game was bad. They did not do anything on the ground unless it was Josh Allen rushing. But the thing that stands out more than anything, at least to me, was just how bad the line was. It felt like every time the Bills were passing, either Allen was getting pressured and had to evade that pressure, or he was getting hit, or even getting sacked. It led to some big plays for the defense. It led to a bunch of mistakes for the offense, and I just can't get over how badly they played. Because I know they're down two starters, but I did not think it was going to be this kind of performance. Yeah, well, the the Jaguars defensive line, they've got some pieces. I mean, uh, Josh Allen, the defensive end, is a, a really darn good player that's coming into his own and as evidenced by his performance against the Bills, but uh, he's a handful. But outside of that, like their defensive tackles, not really that great. They signed Roy Robertson Harris to a, a big contract in the offseason. That was kind of a, a whiff by them. Um, they've got a failed first round pick and Taven Bryan, who, uh, I believe he got a sack and then, uh, pulled out the Erling Aland uh, celebration <laughs> after the fact, uh, soccer's wonder kid in, uh, in Germany right now. But, um, yeah, the offensive line, they should have played better than they did, uh, certainly against, against this Jaguars team. And that, that was part of the frustration, but it, I think the and this is kind of what I got into with my um, with my post game observations uh, for the athletic. I think that is an offshoot of the bigger problem, and certainly there's a lot of different offshoots here. Like you know, you've got the offensive line screwing up the way that they are. Um, you've got the run game not not playing as efficiently, partially because of the offensive line, partially because of of the uh, the outright concern um, with how the running backs are performing right now. But I think all of those issues have to come back. Oh yeah. And the other one is obviously Josh Allen making some errors that um, I mean, those two interceptions were, were not good. The The first one was inaccurate. The second one should have been, should not have been thrown. And then you had the fumble where he made the wrong read and got stripped because he was trying to, you know, overcompensate for his initial error. So all of these different things kind of play into it, but it's yeah. I wanted to look for the root of those problems, like what was causing all of these different things to happen, and I think it's because the Dolphins a, a week ago really gave the Jaguars a humongous blueprint as to a way to meaningfully deter what the Bills are trying to to do offensively. And not to get like too far into the weeds here, but when you had the Dolphins last week, they did a lot of uh, a lot of cover 0, cover 1, it ended up being uh, 23 snaps of, of those when when the Bills were dropping back to pass, which meant a lot of blitzers, man-to-man coverage, but the other times that they were not blitzing, they were dropping back into a cover 2 shell. And when they were doing that, it was effectively 
dissuading the Bills and Josh Allen from throwing the ball deep. And that's why we didn't see as many deep shots last week. I mean, we saw a couple, but it, it they didn't really connect because he was under pressure when they were blitzing a bunch. But what the Jaguars did, they isolated and, and they said to hell with the cover zero because Josh Allen ended up beating it by the end of the game. To hell with the cover one. They went totally, not totally, but almost completely zone, lots of cover to shell. And for those that don't know, essentially, that's when you have two safeties over the top. And they're they're deep and they're each patrolling one half of the field. So if you're hearing people going, hey, just take a shot down the field, just do it for the love of God, just just take a shot down the field. That's bad process, because if you are taking a shot just to take a shot and it's uh, there's a safety over the top, you're asking your receiver to go win a jump ball in a two on one situation. And that's and that's, you know, just asking for a turnover. And if they end up turning the ball over in that mistake, you would go, well, what are you doing that for? So, like, it's it's complex because now there there's this situation where the the Bills have this specific, very specific defense that is giving them problems. And, you know, they'll the Jaguar said, OK, check it down to Devin Singletary all day. Check it down. And then they they tried to shore up the, the intermediate part of their defense. They considered it a win when uh, Allen would, would check it down and they can go get that guy. But what the Bills were unable to do to try and incentivize the, the Jaguars from getting away from this game plan is, A, they could not get the Jaguars out of their specific zones and because they were able to pin Josh Allen in the pocket. B, Allen held on to the ball an exorbitant amount of time because he was waiting for things to pop open against against this look, and it just wasn't there past, past the checkdown stuff. And then C, it's all um, underscored and really permeated by the fact that the running game is basically a non-factor. And when you have all of these different things working against you to be the formula to defeat this specific look, then you're going to struggle consistently. And that's exactly what we saw the entire game. So I know I, I'm, I'm getting long winded here, but that to me is the root of all of the problems. And to me, and not to, not to sound bleak, but this is a major, major turning point for this this franchise this this team this season because right now they are facing the biggest threat to what they do best they are essentially getting the Kansas City treatment we've seen the Chiefs offense just completely go to tatters and they haven't really been able to get get out from underneath it because they they just haven't been able to get that consistency in the run game like like maybe they want and they can't force teams to come out of of the of that cover two shell stuff that that we've been talking about that the bills kind of gave the blueprint for when they faced them but if the bills don't force the opponent's hand or find creative ways to do those things then we're just going to see more of the same each and every week the way that this defense is set up it allows teams with inferior talent to be able to um, to catch up to a team in an offense like the Bills that has superior talent. And that's exactly what we saw in this game. The Jaguars have a crap secondary. 
They they do not have a good overwhelming defensive line. But you know what they did? They stuck to their game plan. They executed, and the Bills didn't have a freaking answer. So that's that was. I probably went on for like seven minutes there, but that to <laughs> me is the biggest root to all of the undoing for for what we saw. And I think the reason it's so concerning is that these running backs have been given opportunities to, you know, prove that they deserve the carries or prove that they're the one A compared to the one B. And neither of them has done anything with it. And that's what I mean. You're going to put yourself into these bad positions as an offense because basically what the defenses are doing is, you know, you said it in like a really, really sophisticated, detailed way. (laughs) Basically, the opposing defenses are daring the Bills to run, and they can't. They can't run because they don't have anybody who's good at it right now. And they know that they still have a better chance just letting Josh Allen try and make things happen because he is their best player or one of their best players. He wasn't today, but usually he is. And what we need to now see, and this is something that we've talked about on the podcast several times, is we need to see now Josh Allen and the offense and the coaching staff figure out how they are going to handle this type of defense that people are playing against them because now it could be a trend. So if the Jets are trying to do it next week... It already is a trend. (laughs) That's what I mean. It already is a trend. So, I mean, the Jets are going to try and do it again next week. And once again, the Bills are a better team than the Jets are. But as we learned today, that doesn't necessarily matter. And all of the cliches we hear about the NFL sometimes come to fruition. But the Bills should be able to solve this or at least figure out something and make some strides against the Jets next week who have a better defense than the Jags do, which is, you know... Going into this game, like we were talking about, maybe this is a get-right day for the offense. Maybe the wide receivers really have a big day. And for a little bit, for the first couple drives, it looked like they were going to, and then they ultimately stalled out in the red zone. But then after that, it was just it was a comedy of errors. It was really, really bad. And yeah, I just I don't I don't think that Devin Singletary or Zach Moss are guys who can be like. They don't even need to be bell cow running backs. You really don't need that. But I don't think they're guys who can make opposing defenses worried. Because, I mean, just look at their numbers for today. Devin Singletary had six carries for 16 yards with a long run of five yards. Zach Moss, this is even worse, three carries for six yards. And keep in mind, he had a seven-yard run there. So in the other two, he was negative one. And the seven-yard seven yard one came on the third and 20 at the end of the first half. It was just a give-up run. I mean, their most effective runner all season has been Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very concerning trend moving forward. I am not going to, and I don't think you were either. I do not think that, oh my goodness, this team is a joke. They are completely screwed. I don't think that. But I think this is eye-opening to realize, like, you know, on days when they don't have it, they absolutely can get beat. Yeah. I mean, they only, the defense only allowed nine points, and the offense was basically daring the Jaguars to score more than nine points uh, the entire second half. And uh, the defense did absolutely enough for this game to have ended up in a blowout in the Bills' favor. But the running game, yes, the, the runners, Singletary and Moss, just have not been it so far this season. I mean, outside of the the Singletary uh, big day against Miami, I think Moss had a nice day uh, in one of his first few appearances. But 
consistently they lack or they have a certain flaw to their game. And it's also been been coupled by the fact that um, over the last two weeks, the offensive line just has not been getting the type of push that they need to against a front four that they probably should be dominating. And that part of part of it is a concern. And then when you mesh that with the struggles that these runners have, that they can't overcompensate for that. Like Zach Moss, his vision is so inconsistent to where, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from one play to the next with him. He, he can either read it correctly and, and pops it and then breaks a tackle and, and gets like 10 plus yards, or he tries to bust it wide like he's prone to do from time to time and, and takes a, neg- a negative, uh, uh, it's a negative play. And then with Singletary, you have a runner who has good vision, but lacks the explosiveness. He lacks the power. And really, he becomes kind of a non-threat the first time he makes contact with someone because he's probably not breaking a tackle. So when you have a lack of explosiveness and a lack of tackle-breaking ability on, on the one hand, and then a lack of vision on the other... Like, who is your go-to here? I don't think you necessarily have one. And it's gotten to the point where the Bills essentially had to abandon handing the ball off to their ball carriers completely, even though it was it's probably the elixir to get them to uh, be able to thwart this defense that the Dolphins started to populate against the Bills, and then the Jaguars just completely took it and ran with it. Uh, on Sunday. So it's it's a it's a complicated issue. And the one way that the Bills were trying to manufacture like a a semi-run game was not Josh Allen. I found this interesting. It was actually Cole Beasley because on his first six targets, they uh, they knew that they couldn't get the push up front and it was it just wasn't happening. Uh, the running backs didn't have it. Um on his first six targets in the in the first half of that game, Beasley, I think he had five catches on those six targets, and his average depth of target was 1.8 yards. Now, keep in mind, his normal average depth of target is closer to six. So the way that they tried to go about manufacturing a semi part of the run game, even though it's still technically a pass game, is to get the ball out of Allen's hand quick, get it in, in Cole Beasley's hands, and try and win with their wide receivers against smaller defenders as opposed to, you know, running into a brick wall because they, they weren't being effective. And not even that was working. Like, uh, I think on his first eight catches, Beasley had 10 total yards after catch. Like, or his eight targets, he had 10 total yards after catch. Like, it was, just wasn't working. They wouldn't be able to manufacture just of anything. And and this is why they need to take a hard look and get fine creative ideas because if they don't, they're just going to keep seeing the same stuff over and over and over again. So this is a humongous week for them coming up. And I and I'm not being a prisoner of the moment here. You you guys you guys know me by now. I am I I like to think I'm extremely logical. I'm not hot takey. I I don't do any of those things. But when you see a trend that is working as effectively as what we have seen the last 2 weeks. And then when you couple that with the level of talent of the opponent and for them to be able to bridge the gap to the Bills offense, that is a concern. 
So they know it's a huge week. They know they need answers. And I would be surprised if Brian Dable gets any more than two or three hours of sleep a night. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So two things that I need to see from them moving forward, or two things that I think I would like to see. I want to see Isaiah McKenzie involved more in the offense because I think that if they are going to have to do things that are, you know, trying to, you know, scare, you know, make the defenses a little bit more worried about guys coming out of the backfield. I'm not saying like just hand it off to Isaiah McKenzie, but I want to see like some of the jet sweeps. I want to see some of the things that they've had success doing in years past with Isaiah McKenzie, and honestly, that's kind of one of the reasons why he's become, you know, somebody that fans really like in Western New York these last couple years because, you know, he wasn't the primary returner up until this year, and, you know, he was still getting touches, and he was making a difference. So I want to see him involved more, and I want to see Matt Breda get a chance to be one of these guys that they're going to try and hand the ball off to, and this is such an oversimplification, but I think it makes sense he can't be worse, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, fair. I know I know they probably are like the best two running backs on our roster right now, are Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, whichever way you want to say them, first or second. Matt Breda cannot be worse. I, I can assure you that if he had three carries today, he would have had at least six yards because that's what Zach Moss had. And I get the guys in front need to give you help and all of that stuff, but he's got some speed. There's a reason they signed him. Like, I just think they need to try something new. And I don't even know the fact that I can't say which one I would sit, you know? Like, if you're going to make one of them inactive, I don't know. I I would tend to think maybe Moss, but I, I don't know. I mean, neither of them has been impressive. So you could sit both of them for all I care. I don't, I don't know. I just think they need to try and get... Isaiah McKenzie involved, and I think that Matt Breda should get a game or two because, like I said, he he will not be worse. Yeah, and if he, he's better, if he's better, then great, you roll with it. He might get a game anyway because Zach Moss left the game with a concussion, and so that that might just bring it on organically as opposed to them having to make a decision. So it'd probably make it easy on them to see what they have in Matt Breda. Um, you know, there there is a certain school of thought to maybe they dress one fewer linebacker and use Breda on on special teams to try and um, bridge that gap a little bit. Uh, so there is that line of thinking. Uh, and even if you know if Zach Moss can play and dressing all three running backs just to try and you know manufacture a little bit of something here, but 
it's a it's an issue. There's there's no doubt. I I honestly think we are getting to the point in which the Bills are going to address the running back position significantly this offseason. I don't think there's any way around it because they just are not getting what they need out of Devin Singletary. The guy that was on the Bills roster and leading the way for them as a rookie, that guy isn't there anymore. Like, I think part of it is probably had probably something to do with um, the other player in the mix was what Frank Gore um, and and Singletary is obviously more explosive explosive than Frank Gore Frank Gore was a plotter when he got to the bills and he got some tough yards but like he wasn't busting out and, and breaking big runs so when you saw like the the toe drag stuff from Singletary and making people miss in the open field it's like whoa look at this guy he's a rookie look at that guy but he just hasn't been that type of player for them anymore and he he can't. I mean, he he re, re, completely reshaped his body in the off season, but the explosiveness hasn't been there. He doesn't have the power to break tackles because he's a little bit smaller now. And when you don't have those two things, then you need to be extraordinary with how you set up defenders. And not to mention, he also has a fumbling problem, and he's had one for two out of his three seasons. So all of these factors, it's like okay, well. He's probably not it. And it gets to the, and I mentioned this on, on the, the podcast um, before the Jaguars game. I think we're, we're leaning, leading to the point in which Devin Singletary becomes the new Matt Breida or the new TJ Yeldon next year. Cause he's going to be on the final year of his rookie deal. It just the, co- consistently hasn't been there. And then Zach Moss, you know, he has a role because he, he can win on short yardage um, sometimes. He breaks can contact. He <laughs> he can, can he, though? Can he though? He can. He can. Um, I think I think the offensive line struggles in short yardage situations more than anything. Um, Moss breaks tackles. And he can at least lower his shoulder and knock some people over and, and push forward. So there is a slight role for that. But what they are lacking in totality is a guy who can give them another dimension on, on offense, whether it be as a pass catcher out of the backfield, uh, just just running the ball, give them a little bit of a, a speed option, and, and they're probably going to have to go to the draft again at running back to do it. And I would not put it past Brandon Bean at all to use a premium draft resource on it this season. If he feels like the offense it is in desperate need of it, that's their fastball. So if they have Allen... Diggs, Beasley, um, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox, all under contract next year. You know what he's going to feel like they're missing right now? That piece to put their running game over the edge. So that way it takes some pressure off of their franchise quarterback. So that way he can do things the way that they know that he can against, you know, defenses that have to switch it up because they don't know how to defend you. So it's, I think this is the way it's kind of trending uh, the way it's been this year. Still a lot of time to go. And Singletary or Moss could change their minds, but I don't think it's going to happen because we have seen a lot from both of these guys at this point, and I think they are who they are right now. Well, did you see that Schefter? It was out there today that Schefter said the Bills were interested in Adrian Peterson. I mean, but he's a he's a plotter. That's the thing. Like, I, I get it. They, li- I, they like it, I guess. Though, I mean, it's. I, I, I mean, get- think about think about all the other guys they've had, right? Like Frank Gore, Chris Ivory. I know, but that's like Zach all- Moss. I know, but. 
That's Maybe Zach they Moss. don't trust Zach Moss. Mike Tolbert. <laughs> Mike Tolbert. Remember Mike Tolbert? Oh, I remember Mike Tolbert. <laughs> Elect- electric. People hated Mike Tolbert. He, the, was that the, 2017? That was. Yeah. He it, the the damnedest thing about it is he was beloved in Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. They just fans raved about him. Then he gets to Buffalo and he is like public enemy number one. Um it uh yeah, that that was that was quite the year. I, I wonder if they would have and this is very, very like hindsight thing, but like I wonder if ETN was no, available. I don't think so. I know. I don't I know. think they, we, I we, think they were a pass rusher all the way. You're you're probably right, especially because you know of everything that we they have said in the off season, and it seems like they really did like Rousseau. But yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, it's clearly a problem for this team, and it has been a problem for you know a little bit now. Not a little bit, a lot now. They opposing defenses are not even kind of scared of either of the Bills running backs, and that makes them so much more manageable to try and slow down. When you I'm, don't even have to kind of think about stopping the run and you put all of your eggs into the basket of stopping Josh Allen and making the def- you know, making the offense work for every yard that they gain, these are the kind of things that happen. And even still, the Bills should have won this game. Even still, with all of that, not being able to run the ball and having a terrible offensive line today and you know the, the mistakes that they made and all of the penalties and all of that nonsense, they had an opportunity to win the game multiple times and they couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the second half there, it really seemed like that um, Allen was moving around a bit more and he was getting defenders out of their previous positions and he was finding those spaces in that, in that cover too. So um, there is... There is a way. Like they're going to find some stuff on film that they like from what they did in in the second half. But uh, want to know the the craziest thing about the end of this game? That I don't know. I didn't see a thing about it anywhere. I didn't hear anybody talk about it in the press box. You know how many plays Cole Beasley played in the fourth quarter? How many? One. Because of the drop? No, he played in one. I think he was banged up. Um. And, okay. And he. He missed a couple of snaps in in the third quarter, came back for a few, only played on one third down play on their first possession of the fourth quarter, and the rest of the way it was Isaiah McKenzie. And when you and that's another part to this where the Bills were looking for answers. Cole Beasley is often Josh Allen's answer when they're going up against zone. And if he's not out there and he's not reading the the defense and and slithering into uh these spots on the field that you know a, a lot of other guys like I don't know Isaiah McKenzie who is out there for him uh, in as a slot receiver at the end of the game he, he just doesn't have the experience to exploit it the way that Cole Beasley does and doesn't like read it the way that Cole Beasley does to where because Beasley also does it from a quarterback's perspective too because he used to play that position um, and that gives him an edge so that's why like Beasley is easily one of their most important skill players right now going up against the defenses like this one. And the fact that he wasn't out there in the fourth quarter, basically at all, um, outside of, it was one play out of 18 offensive snaps. The fact that he wasn't out there is cause for concern. And well, especially because he was, he was banged up going into this game. Too. His, and he was such a big part of the first half as well. He had seven, seven of his eight catches in the first half. And then, 
on the second half, one catch on three targets. He didn't play in the fourth quarter. I, I, like I said, I was amazed that no one noticed it. But well, he wasn't, no, he wasn't nope. out there. Nobody noticed it probably because we were walking to basically Orlando to get to the <laughs> interview room. He had to get escorted there with seven minutes left. I basically had to hop I just in met, an Uber. I just hop met in, in general. Like I didn't see I didn't see much of it on Twitter. I didn't see a, a lick of it. And yeah, that was a really far walk to get to the press conference room. I watched the I watched the last seven minutes of this game next to a security guard staring at the scoreboard because I couldn't get onto the field and there were no TVs in the tunnel of the stadium. So yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, it was an interesting because you know like he's a security guard working in Jacksonville, so obviously like he had a very deep rooted interest in this game. He was like, "That's a penalty," and I was like, "I can't mm. even see what's going on." So yeah. I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't realize that he. Was was so absent in the fourth quarter and it makes sense Mm -hmm. that if he was banged up I mean I did see early in the game you know before the game even started he was out there testing things to see if he was going to be able to go and you know he walked over to Dable and kind of gave him a fist bump and like a nod which to me was like okay he's gonna go he's gonna be ready to play and then you know after all of that usage in the first half he did kind of and but he did he had the crucial drop what was that late in the third or early in the fourth um let me check my notes uh, let's see. Beasley. Okay. Beasley was. And we're, and it's not like, you know, I'm sure that most of the people. Second quarter. Pu- second quarter. Wasn't the second quarter that yep. drop? Second and 11. Yep. Really? I, I have uh, Beasley drop second and 11. There is another incompletion to him on a first and 20 play in the third quarter. Maybe is that what you're thinking what of? I mean, I'm, he it was it was a blatant drop that I'm thinking of. Like hit his hands. No, I remember. Fell to the fell yeah, to the ground. It. it happened. I can tell you, it happened at yeah. You're right. Second down. Second and eleven. It happened at around two o eight p.m. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that first been, half that would have been that would have been first half. Wow, I thought that was in the second quarter. Okay, or excuse me, in the second half. My bad. A lot, a lot um, of this game blurred together. Oh my god. Yes. Well, it, a lot of it blurred together with last week, too. Felt like mm-hmm. I was watching the same game the first half of this week and then the first half of last week. It was uh, This was a terrible football game. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad. I mean, it depends on who's asking. Like, Jags fans, no, they probably hated it, too. They couldn't. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, could, no, no, no. They couldn't I do lear- a lick of it. I know for a fact that Jags fans were pumped because before we taped this podcast – I walked over to the restaurant next to the hotel just to grab something quick to eat, and there was a table of fans there, and they were sitting there, and I specifically heard somebody say, man, the Jags came to play today. What a game. (laughs) That was a sentence that was said. Man, Mm -hmm. the Jags came to play today. So, yeah, Duval. Mm -hmm. Um, The last two Bills-Jaguars games uh, in Jacksonville have – had the Jaguars up nineteen to nine, <laughs> so God. yeah, that that was that was very much a thing. So yes, um, Beasley was a was a huge piece of the puzzle for me, especially in the in the second half because he was banged up. You could tell he he had one catch on their first possession in the second half. It was on a second down play, he gained seven yards, and I think uh, he came out of the game right after that because I think he got banged up a little bit on that play. Um, came back in 
and he went through uh, the next. Uh, he got a couple more plays in, and then the next series he was in there the whole way. Uh, even got a target on a first down, um, a first and twenty. And then the following series, he was basically nowhere to be seen from that point forward, uh, except for a third and seven play that I think they put him in there just to be somewhat of a decoy because I went to, to Diggs. It was a five-yard gain. It set up the fourth and two that they eventually took the false start, which took them out of in what McDermott thought was the possibility to uh, to go for it on fourth and seven in Jaguars territory, which, by the way, not for nothing, I think that's the wrong call because – his justification for it was, well, you know, I trusted my defense to get the ball back. It's like, okay, well, you still could have trusted the defense and just given them, if it doesn't go your way, then they get the ball on near the mid, the midfield line. And that way you can still capitalize on one of your best um, field positions in, in the second half at that point. So I don't know. I thought, I thought that logic was a little flawed. Uh, there was... You know, the the advanced go-for-it metrics were screaming for them to go for it in that situation, especially down um, where they were on the field, how much that they, they had to gain to get the first down. I thought it was the wrong call my, myself, um, but, you know, it, neither here nor there. But, yes, that that was that third and seven play was the only one that, that Beasley was out there in the fourth quarter. I also thought that they should go for it, and I also, you know, I understand the hindsight here, but one of the things that some people were talking about after the game was the decision to let them attempt the 55-yard kick that they ultimately successfully attempted, and, you know, that tied the game at that point at six. And I didn't have an issue with that play because I know you would say, like, wow, the defense has been great all day. You know, you're moving them back 10 yards. It takes them out of field goal range. You should be able to stop them for, you know, basically less than 10 yards. But – I mean, like the guy at one point in this game missed three consecutive kicks. Like they were making him try a 55 yarder. I don't really fault them for that. But of the other one, I am always all about like going for it, especially with the way the defense was playing and just how the offense has been playing. Just because basically that would have got, if they, if they converted on that, they absolutely are in field goal range then. And then you're talking about either going down and getting a touchdown or obviously just kicking a field goal and hoping to eventually tie things up. So, yeah, I was a little surprised that they decided to punt it there with how the defense was playing. And I still think that, like, you know, when Josh Allen is your quarterback, on any play that's, like, less than 15 yards, I still think they've always got a great chance at converting. Even at the end of the game, while I was watching next to that security guard with the scoreboard view is the only thing that I was seeing, what was it, 4th and 16? I yep. even was like, I think they might convert it. And, you know, ultimately they didn't, but he's often their best player. So in those situations, I think you trust your best player to make a play. And then, you know, you just kind of live and die with that. It was in those moments that not having Beasley out there really hurt. Um, and, you know, they... Let's see. The only times that they faced a third down in the fourth quarter, they did not convert it. Um, do you know? Do you know? In, at, on in that last, quarter, uh, on the in the fourth quarter, on that last drive. Now, this is partially because of where I was watching the game from, but I think it was like a second and seven, or maybe it was like a third and seven. No, it was a second the, and seven because it you're was talking about the drop to Gabriel Davis. 
Yes. I okay. was going to ask you, so I had a really bad vantage point for that, but from where I was watching, it certainly looked like it was not only just like, I, I, I couldn't tell if it was a drop or if it got like deflected because it looked like if he would have caught it, he would have probably had like 15 yards in front of him. Absolutely. And, you know, so I did you were you able to see a better vantage point of that play? Because from where I was watching, it looked like just like a straight drop, like it hit his hands yeah. and it hit the ground. Yeah, it was a drop, and the Jaguars defender rushed up to to try and get him the the back defender, and uh, he had nothing but room in front of him. It was it was a perfect pass. Should have been should have been had. Should have turned up the field. Probably fifteen yards, maybe more in that situation. Huge missed opportunity by Gabriel Davis. Absolutely okay. humongous missed opportunity. Okay, so yeah, so from my vantage point, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well maybe it got tipped. I couldn't really tell because you know Gabriel Davis has made big plays for this team several, several times, like a lot, especially last year, obviously. So that's relatively surprising to see kind of that situation unfold. And then as far as the last play is concerned, like, I don't know, I've also seen a couple people say that Sanders was open. I did notice that in that play, like you mentioned, I don't know if this was by design or if this was because he was getting rushed all game and he didn't trust the pocket to kind of, you know, keep him protected, but he immediately ran to the sideline. Basically, it was like drop, run to the sideline. Now, I don't know if he was trying to open something up in the defense there. That's exactly if, what he was trying to do, I think. Because oh, so that, because if they're if they're just dropping back in into that cover two again, and I don't know if it was, it was I would have to go back and look at the play itself. But if they're dropping back into his own coverage, the best way to try and get them out of that spot is to try and is to try and move your spot to get them to you know approach you a little bit, and then you pop them and and hit them where they aren't or where they shouldn't be because you're changing the angle up on everything rather than just being you know defined confined in the pocket. So that that's why I think he did it pr- pretty close to immediately. And then as far as that is concerned, there were other times when I think he was bailing from the pocket because he thought there was pressure there that wasn't ultimately there. And that was something that Mitch Morris addressed after the game because he was like, listen, when you don't protect your quarterback early and they're getting pressured as the game moves on, they often feel like they're getting pressured even when they are not. And that's a result of what happened earlier in the game. And I thought that came into play a little bit today. Like I thought he, you know, maybe didn't stand tall in the pocket as much as he should have. But I also now, you know, after hearing kind of like your perspective with the zone coverage and stuff, that does make sense that he was trying to kind of manipulate the coverages to try and find some like holes in the defense, basically, because Mm -hmm. he was he was trying to do it all. And I am not going to be like the Josh Allen apologist defender here by any stretch because there were really bad plays like the fumble cannot happen. That is like rookie season, Josh. That stuff needs to be cleaned up. The one interception was a bad pass to Cole Beasley. It was just a bad pass and a double coverage. He didn't see the other guy there. I don't think he makes that play very often. The second one, you know, he's getting smoked. He should hold on to the ball, but he's just trying to get rid of it. And I'm not, you know, making excuses. I, like, given the circumstances, I don't know what else he's really supposed to do on a lot of these plays. Like, it felt like he was running for his life so often today. Yeah, um, those those three mistakes were, you know. Crucial. He, it, he, yeah. should, he, he shouldn't do that, but it was not the reason that they lost the game. It was a lot of, just a lot of the execution of the opponent's 
and and how they were defending the Bills, how the Bills really didn't have an answer. And because they didn't have an answer, then it it helped force Josh Allen into these uh, into these moments where he felt like he needed to be the hero. Um, and it just it whenever he gets in the hero ball, usually does not go well. So um, they've got a lot to figure out this week. There's there's no doubt about it. And I, I think they're probably back home by now. Um, but I have no doubt that McDermott was in a huddle with Brian Dable watching film and trying to figure the F out how to defeat this scheme, this blueprint, and everything along those lines because they have their work cut out for them, especially if they do not have the ability to run the ball, and especially if they are without two of their starting offensive linemen again next week um, if Spencer Brown can't come back. Because, you know, we might see some lineup changes. Um, Maybe they put Darrell Williams back inside. Maybe they give Tommy Doyle or Ryan Bates a start at tackle. Like, I think everything is is up for discussion with them. They'll probably keep Daryl Williams in the same spot, but I would not be shocked if Ryan Bates is getting a start next week because he would he would be next man up um, if, if they don't get people healthy. But their best case scenario would be if Spencer Brown comes back healthy and then uh, for, for next week's game, move Daryl Williams back inside to right guard, which where he was playing much better than at tackle. And then... Uh, at left guard, figure it out between Butker and Ryan Bates. I was going to say, it seems like if Spencer Brown comes back, that Cody... Although, did you did you pick up on the Sean comment about Spencer Brown on Friday? Did you notice what he said about the Spencer Brown injury? Uh, what What are you referring to? He said, like, after practice about the Spencer Brown injury, like... You know, he's still trying to figure this league out, and we're still trying to figure him out. Did you catch? I'm almost positive that was about Spencer Brown, and that was Mm. weird. Mm. It was, I don't know if it was like him alluding to they thought he would be ready to go by now and he isn't, or, you know, I I don't know. It was just a strange thing. But do you, so I would assume basically what you're saying, you know, like the whole line at points struggled today, but the ones that are like definitely probably, you know, Dawkins isn't going anywhere. Morris isn't going anywhere. Daryl Williams is going to be on the line. I just don't know if it's going to be a tackler, if it's going to be a guard. And then he needs to been- be in, inside a guard because he's it's it's not working at tackle. I mean, he did. He had a really nice game against Miami at, at tackle. And it's like, oh, that there's the guy that, that was there last year. And then, you know, um, every other game at tackle, he's just been kind of a disaster. So he needs to be inside a guard. Okay, so then basically I was going to say, you've got to figure out what you're going to do because Ford's the one coming out, and I just don't even know yeah. what they do moving forward. I mean, he'll probably he'll probably get a training camp next year to prove he can make the team, but if he doesn't, then they'll just cut him and move on. That's that's basically that's, what it boils down to. And yeah. just wasted draft resource. Um, just didn't, didn't work out. You know, um, they – and this is not to get into Cody Ford point time, but – they should never have started him at tackle at the beginning of his of his career. Should never have happened. But they they drafted him because of where they drafted him. Like, oh, he can he can play tackle, but he doesn't have the feet to do it. It's just it's never been good for him outside of tackle. And they tried to force it a little bit. Ended up moving him inside anyway. Um, and now, and I I don't know if it's completely correlated. 
that because his rookie year they they started him at one position and that he can't play um he can't do it well on the inside maybe he's just not that good but certainly doesn't help and so i think they kind of put him on the wrong foot right the, right at the start of his career just at least a little bit it, it was a contributing factor i would say one one of the many questionable day two draft picks of this front office you talking zay jones i'm talking well zay jones was he was sean he was sean but i mean think about it you've got whaley will take credit for it though yeah but i mean like so okay let's go down the not to not to go down a completely ridiculous rabbit hole but i was having this conversation with somebody i love ridiculous rabbit holes but i mean okay so think about the day two draft picks we're not going to talk about you know, well, okay, Boogie Basham this year, and then who was their third-round pick this year? Why am I blanking? Oh, uh, Spencer Brown. Okay. Jury's still out on both of those. We're not going to count this year. Last year, A.J. Epinesa, Zach Moss, I don't think either has lived up to their potential at this point. Year before that would have been, was it Cody Ford, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox. Knox. Yeah. So of the group, Knox, far and away, the best. And then the year Deion, before that. Deion Dawkins and Zay Jones. No, so the year before that would have been Harrison Phillips. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But that was Deion, it, Deion's right? in year five. Yeah. Yes. So Dion, Dion and Zay were both dug. 17. And yes. then it was 18 was... Phillips and I don't think they had a second rounder because yeah they traded they traded it, right? they traded it to get Edmonds yeah. yep. or maybe for maybe for Jeff I don't know whatever but yeah no a lot of they've been they've found some really good players like hidden gems in the later rounds they, they absolutely have and they've been very good with their first you know their first round picks obviously that's how they'll be judged but their day two picks have not been great mm-hmm. yep that's that's completely fair especially with how things are going with Cody Ford and uh, things seem to be going with Devin Singletary and, and Zach Moss, for sure. The only the only successful one was Deion Dawkins and, and Dawson Knox to a certain degree, but we still need to see if he can sustain it throughout an entire season. Um, but Deion Dawkins was not Brandon Bean's pick. <laughs> it was it was Sean McDermott's pick. Uh, with intel from, from the Whaley staff. But yeah, Sean McDermott was the one that made that pick. All right, let's get to some awards. Um, so let's start with the uh, the Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise today. We'll we'll start it off with the old positive. So what what do you have, Matt Barkley Award for? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll go first. Saran Neal for me was the one because Taron Johnson had to um, leave leave the game after just ten defensive snaps. Uh, I believe it was a concussion, if I have that correctly. Um, but he had to leave the game. And Saran Neal entered the game. They tried to pick on Neal early. They completed a pass on him. He took a defensive pass interference penalty. But after that, he settled in. And they weren't able to pick on him uh, anymore past that point. So I, I think uh, I, I liked how Saran Neal certainly um, was able to help kind of steady it. Because he's effectively their third string nickel corner. Because if... They knew Taron Johnson wasn't going to be healthy enough to play in this game. Then they would have called up Cam Lewis from the practice squad. So he, Cam Lewis is their backup nickel. Saran Neal is their third string. And he stepped in and I, I thought, you know, after a couple of bad plays, looked, looked pretty good. So, yeah, I'll go with Saran Neal for that. For me, it's going to be Mario Addison. Um, you know, he Second had straight sack. week. 
Second straight week, the second second straight week with a sack. You know, they're getting some productivity out of somebody who not that long ago we were wondering like how many snaps is this guy even going to get? You know, I'm not not a perfect, you know, you would want more production from a whole season standpoint, but these last couple of weeks he started to make a little bit of an impact and that's caught me by surprise. Mhm. So, uh, so yeah, Mario Addison is is a good one for that. All right, let's go to, let's see. Let's go with the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't show up in the second half, shall we? Yeah, Zach Moss for me. Um, <laughs> just well, he, 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 he was concussed. Okay, so you could take it quite literally. But that didn't happen until yeah. late, right? Uh, let's see. I think it might have been the third quarter. Let me look. Now I now I kind of feel like a jerk. <laughs> you could change it. Uh, I'm he, gonna change it. He 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 was uh, his last snap came in midway through the third quarter. Okay, so I feel like kind of a jerk by doing that. Um, I'm gonna go with the guy we were just talking about a little bit ago, Gabriel Davis, because you know his snaps are not nearly as plentiful as they were last year. When he gets on the field, they need him to make plays. And it felt like there was a missed opportunity there mm-hmm. in the second half. So he is my answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I will go with, <sighs> I might have to go with Josh Allen here. Um, because I mean, they, he was bad. They were definitely, they were moving the ball a bit more. So, and they were moving the ball a bit more because of him, but yeah. it was the turnover plays that, that really did it. So he showed up, but he, he showed up in the wrong way. So maybe, I don't know. Is that Vontae Davis? We'll just pretend it is because yeah. it's past 10 o'clock at this point. And, and we, we both got, have we, early flights. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, we got to be to the airport at 4 30 AM. Um, all right, let's go to the Dree Archer award. For the player that did not show, or the thing that did not show up at all today, um, the ru- the run game, mm-hmm. it was so ineffective, and we've spent so much time talking about it. But the outcome of this game is different, in my opinion. If they broke off a couple runs that looked like they just were even kind of a threat on the ground, but they didn't, and the Jags didn't have to worry about that. I mean, if Singletary breaks off, you know, a 15-yard run, it's not like we're asking for, like, 60-yard house calls here. We're just talking about, like, effective runs in the NFL. Carlos Hyde had a 15-yard run today. Like, it's not like you need to be a superstar to do it every once in a while, and these guys weren't able to do anything more than you know, a seven-yard carry at the end of the first half and meaningless time. If you noticed, they came out of the gates in the uh, second half and they ran the ball two plays in a row. One went to Devin Singletary for five yards. The next went to yep. Devin Singletary for four yards. Um, but they uh, decided to not go back to that <laughs> after, after that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the run game is a good award winner for the Dree Archer. I'm going to give it to the Jacksonville press box. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer because it's an amazingly good answer the press the press box you know and i'm yeah i want i want to be careful just because I, I don't really want want people to think that we're like complaining about you know being at the press box at, at at this place but it made me think about the press box in oakland and if you have to think about the press box in oakland while you're <laughs> in some place it's probably not in good shape like the chairs were like legitimately 
well lower than than the table that that we had to that we had to work on so it's either like you're either hunching over or you're having to like overcorrect your back to to look just to see see the field <laughs> it kind of smelled like dog just like Oakland did. Um, <laughs> the the seats had like stains on them. Um, me, the, yeah. the 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 window in front of us had, they didn't they didn't like squeegee it or anything. It had just had like this film on it. Like I'm yep. just like what what is the neglect going on over here at TIA, TIAA Bank Field? Let me paint everybody a picture at home here to so give you a little color. Um, the window, the glass in front of us was like, I don't know if any of you have ever had to like wash somebody's car that wasn't your own and you would just like pour all the soap onto the car and then just kind of spray it. And for like three minutes, it looks clean. But then in like 10 minutes, there's all the streaks and it's running everywhere and it's just, you know, disgusting. So it kind of was like that. The seats were like something you would find out of like, an American Legion fish fry, basically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And the counter made it feel like you were like resting your... Well, Joe is tall, yeah. so he did not have this problem like the rest of us did. But it felt like my jaw was basically like lower than the top of my laptop, which was very, <laughs> which was very weird. And there was that weird metal square in front of us. Yeah. I don't know if that was like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what it was. And then there was a metal pole in front of me. So like, you know, any play that happened basically between the 50 and the 35, my vantage point was a little shaky. I will repeat. It was not as bad as Oakland. It was just. I have it was, never been to Oakland. It was well. You never will be either, and and yeah. I, it's it's only in my memories at this point. Um, it it was not as bad as Oakland, but it is quickly one of one of the worst in the league. And by the way, the way that you were describing the the counter thing, poor Elena Getzenberg. By the way, she's oh, she's, the, she's the new uh, re- Bills reporter for ESPN. She's like five foot three, five foot four. And like, there's, there's no way with how low the seat was and like where the counter was that it was, a uh, it was conducive. I think she probably <laughs> had to like sit on her leg or something to, to, to see the old she, over the laptop. She should have found a phone book to sit on. <laughs> they probably have those. In, That's in what there, I mean. If, there if there was, if there was a press box that had a phone book, it was this one. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, I think I wrote it down as soon as I got to the stadium knowing that I wasn't going to give it to a player. Like the first note <laughs> I put written, wrote in my notes is Dre Archer Award, the press box. So there you have it. There um, you have it. All right. The uh, the Got to Watch the Tape Award. Who you got? Um, I am going to go with Deion Dawkins because for as much as we've talked about the offensive line, it felt like there were a couple times when he got uncharacteristically beat today. Now, I don't know if that was basically just, you know, they were getting kind of beat everywhere or what exactly happened. I am by no means suggesting that he is like a weak link of this offensive line. He is, you know, arguably their most important offensive lineman. And I still think he's a very, very, very good player. But there were a couple moments today when it looked like he got beat and we don't see that very often. Uh, He was going up against Josh Allen and he's a he's a damn good pass rusher. I think that was part of the issue as well. Uh, My got to watch the tape award is to the entire first half offense because did you know that Josh Allen accounted for 
102% of the yards in the first half. And why was it 102%? Because the running backs had, oh no, not in the first half of the, let's see, when it got, with 10 minutes to go in the second quarter, I'm sorry. Allen was accounting for 102% of the offense. It was because the running backs, in totality, had negative two yards. So, got to watch the tape to see what happened there uh, to see why the hell the running game is a, well, t- a, to f- a hot mess. To further, you know, prove your point, I mean, he must have accounted for what, this is mental math here, more than 90% of their offense for the entire I mean, day. I mean, he always does. <laughs> with, with, with the running game, except for the Miami game, with the running game the way it is, I mean, it's... 22 yards from the running backs combined. Yeah. Yeah. 22 yards. Get a hold of it. Um, all right, and the last award is the Blaine Gabbert, <laughs> Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. Uh, Matt Beauvais, who do you have? I called dibs on this in the press box, and I'm going to use it. The Perseverance Award goes to Jax DeVille, the Jaguars whoa, whoa, mascot. Whoa, 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 Hang what on. Did if, I th- if you're going to say his name, you got to say it correctly. Jackson, what, what, what did I th- Jackson DeVille. Jackson DeVille. What did I say? Jax DeVille? Jax DeVille. I think you have Eichel on the brain. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, did you just see the video that no. the Vegas Golden Knights posted I, of I, them welcoming? I, I, I heard about it, but uh, yeah, I, okay. I haven't yet had the pleasure. Well, you showed me his Wikipedia page for Jackson <laughs> DeVille, and it was a just it was a real treat to read through that. For those of you who don't know, he is the Jaguars mascot. He jumps from the top of the stadium and rappels down to the field. And listen, like the Jags, yeah, they won this game. They're not very good. They're not going to win very many games this year, but he is a real treat to watch. So he is persevering through the surroundings that he has dealt with. Best mascot in the league. It's not close. Really is really is a treat. Yeah, Yeah. he's pretty great. This is my first time, you know, spending some time with Jackson DeVille, but yeah. Or DeVille. But yeah, no, he was uh he's my guy. (laughs) I I I tried to I tried to tell everybody before the game and then then you saw him freaking jump off the top of the stadium you're like oh my god it's like yep that's <laughs> that's good old jackson um yeah <laughs> good <That's>, old jackson <laughs> i i i uh i fully support that one my blaine gabbert matthew fairburn award for perseverance is going to none other than matthew fairburn here's why midweek <laughs> when plake bortles got picked up he got a bunch of tweets about him, be like, "Oh my God, Blake Bortles got picked up on the week of the Bills and Jags. How are you feeling, Matthew Fairburn?" And he's had to deal with that nonstop because people confuse Blaine and Blake all the time, even though it's Blaine, clearly Blaine. But, uh, but yeah. So my my award goes to to Matthew Fairburn for that because uh, you know just having to. Kindly remind people, hey, Blaine, not Blake. Blaine, not Blake. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes, it goes to our, our boy, MF. Can I can I give a quick shout out to the JAG social media team real quick? Why would they do? Did you see the picture they tweeted? This is at 5.02. I just saw it. It was the caption is when someone says, quote, the other Josh Allen and they posted the meme of Michael Jordan with that, and I took that personally. But they photoshopped their Josh Allen's head onto it and put a Jags logo on the shirt, and that's very funny. Well then, 
Yeah, <laughs> that's very that's very funny. Well, good on them. Yeah, good on them. All right. Um, I think we've said about a, a a few too many words at this point. So I think uh, I think I think we're in a good spot. Any fond words of farewell, Mister Bobay? No. Um, no, I got nothing. I wish I had some. I wish I had some like great soliloquy to end on here, but I just have nothing. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, all right. So uh, that'll do it for us. If you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com/slash the Buffalo Beat for a a uh, special discount on your yearly subscription to get all of uh, your access to at the Athletic uh, our Bills coverage, Sabers coverage. NBA, NFL, fantasy football, fantasy basketball, Premier League. Um, you know, there's there's basically everything you want. To, college basketball is going to be starting up soon. Uh, so that's fun. The NHL, which I didn't say. Um, see how Eichel's doing in Vegas. Uh, yeah, all of that good stuff. So you can do that by going to theathletic.com slash thebuffalo. All right. For Matt Bovey, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you in the middle of the week when the Bills prepare to take on the New York Jets for their second straight program. See you then.